Well, on this uh, lovely Palm Sunday, I think I got that right. It's a lovely Palm Sunday in the year 2021. Um, we're looking at Luke chapter 19, uh, sorry, Luke uh, 23, um, Luke 23 and uh, verses uh, 13 through 25. Um, we live in a society today that champions individual achievements. Um, I, I look at that in many different ways. For example, when my grandkids go out, their parents are cheering them on. Uh, they love it. They say, oh, well, my son scored three goals in soccer or um, he got five uh, baskets, you know, and their team won, and we're just really proud of it. Or he hit the ball, you know. We, our five-year-old is, is playing um, baseball, learning how to play baseball. And the coach pitches them a softball, and, and then they have to hit it. And, and if they miss it three or four times, they put it up, tee it up for them so they can at least, you know, hit, hit something. Our five-year-old, you know, he hits the first pitch and it goes all the way to the fence. Ha <laughs> It's wonderful. Yeah, we, 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 we encourage them. We promote that within our society. And uh, so uh, I remember when our sons came to the States and they, uh, one, uh, you know, got his university education right away and then went on into uh, business and, and climbed the ranks and and now he's a senior vice president out in Tennessee for a national concern. The other one went into the Marine Corps and comes out, gets his law degree, and is a lawyer down here in the city of Wilmington. And, and I, I, for the city of Wilmington, he, he was a, a prosecutor over in Brunswick and Bladen counties for uh, several years. And, and basically they came back and they said, you know, anybody can do it. You can come into this country with the freedoms that we have. And if anybody will apply themselves and they'll work hard, they can accomplish something with their lives. It's just, that's the way it is. And, and so we have, uh, we have this, this incredible society where we can prove ourselves, we can prove to ourselves that we can do something. We applaud those who accomplish something. Uh, with the strength of their own willpower, and we, we congratulate them on that. It's wonderful and as industrious as hard work and good virtues are to possess these very values with the wrong mindset can be very detrimental to us. So I want to share with us about the danger of uh, getting your own way. The danger of getting what you want. <laughs> I, uh, I love our little two-year-old granddaughter. And it, some of the first words that she learned is, I do it. I do it. <laughs> and so you want to give her something, she, I do it, I do it. And she wants to grab your phone and do whatever she does with your phone. Or, or she, she just, whatever it is, you know, she wants to learn how to read. She wants to get the book. She's going to do it. And in one sense, it's really lovely. But as I read this text, I wonder, um, is it always a good thing? 
for us to get our own way. So let's look at Luke chapter 23, beginning at verse 13. And Pilate summoned the chief priests and the rulers and the people, and he said to them, You brought this man to me as one who incites the people to rebellion, and behold, having examined him before you, I have found no guilt in this man regarding the charges which you make against him. No, nor has Herod, for he sent him back to us, and behold, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish him and release him. Now he was obliged to release to them at the feast one prisoner. But they cried out altogether, saying, Away with this man and release for us Barabbas. He was one who had been thrown into prison for a certain insurrection made in the city and for murder. And Pilate, wanting to release Jesus, addressed them again. But they kept on calling out, saying, Crucify, crucify him. And he said to them the third time, Why? What evil has this man done? I have found in him no guilt demanding death. I will therefore punish him and release him. But they were insistent and with loud voices asking that he be crucified. And their voices began to prevail. And Pilate pronounced sentence that their demand should be granted and he released the man they were asking for who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, but he delivered Jesus to their will. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Now in Luke 19, verses 37 to 39, you have this triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. You know, we've been going through this for several months now. All the way, Jesus sent out his, his disciples and then the 70 others to prepare his way to Jerusalem and all the towns that he was going to before he got to Jerusalem. He was going to visit all these places. And so he's done this by this time. And as he comes into Jerusalem, it's the same thing. Remember last week we looked, we looked at, if you go down, you find a man with, this, uh, uh, with a water jug and you follow him to the house. And then you say to the man who, who's the master of the house, the Lord has need of a room and it'll be prepared for you. And they found it just as Jesus said. Well, the same thing happened there on the way to, uh, to Jerusalem. He tells them, go down, you'll find a colt that's tied up and, and you take that colt <laughs> you know, from that place. And if somebody says, what are you doing? You just tell them the master has need of it. And then Jesus, I mean, they go down and find it just as Jesus had said. So all of this is prepared. And Jesus rides on that colt. They're throwing their, their, their uh, cloaks down in front of them. The palm leaves. The people are shouting out, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of the Jews. And, and as they're doing that, the chief priests tell Jesus, you stop them from saying that. You stop that. You rebuke them. Tell them off. And what does Jesus do? He turns to them. He says, if they don't do it, then the stones will cry out. 
I'm not going to stop them from proclaiming truth because of what you say or what you think. You can now see that in this process, the chief priests and the rulers have at every turn along this road to Jerusalem, through all the towns and cities, through ever, however long it's taken, I presume it's taken several months, for all this to happen, and they're following him, they're going from anger to anger. They're, they're, they're getting uh, disgusted with Jesus because he is attacking the very core of their worldview. He is transforming the way people perceive their religion. They are losing their authority. They are losing their power. And, and it's all because of this man and the crowds are following him. And now they're even proclaiming him to be the king of the Jews, which is a sign of the Messiah. And Jesus doesn't stop it, but rides in humility, not on a big white horse as a king would do, but on a foal on a coat, colt into the city. I mean, completely against everything that they assumed it was going to be. And now, five days later, five days later, We've come to the point where Judas has agreed to betray Jesus. It's taken place after that meal, that Passover meal up in the upper room. And, and now Judas has betrayed him with a kiss. He's been arrested. He's been brought before Pilate. They come in and, and first of all, they, I'm sorry, first of all, they take him to the Sanhedrin and they can't even get two people to agree on any of the accusations. And finally they ask him, you know, are you the king of the Jews? And he says, you say that I am. <laughs> he says, they're your words. And they tear their robes and say, blasphemy. Uh, you know, I, I, I reckon we probably have plenty of people in this country that blaspheme. I, I, I know that it happens on uh, TV and on radio, and it, it happens in music and songs. It happens in uh, uh, wherever people gather around. And <laughs> I, I have yet to see it taken to court. You don't have anybody passing a law anywhere in this country that I know of that if you blaspheme, they're going to execute you, put you on death row. Doesn't happen. So even though they claim that they have found something that this man, it would only be blasphemy if it's not true. <laughs> But unfortunately for them, it is true that Jesus really is the Son of God. And they claim that that is blasphemy by tearing their robes. And yet they cannot find anything that he has said that is contrary to either God's word or God's will. And they take him from there to present him before, before the the uh, Gentile rulers, the Roman rulers of their country, because they have the power 
to put somebody to death and they say, this man needs to be put to death. Now, now, now they've got him. We're, we're going to take it to the highest court of the land and he sits down and goes over three times. Get this, three times. He looks at him to pass judgment. He cannot find anything that he has done that they claim that he has done against Caesar and against Rome. He says, no, I can't find that. He sends them off to Herod. Herod can't find anything that he has done deserving death. Sends them back to Pilate. Pilate brings them out. There's a whole crowd of people here now. And you've got the leaders who have, who have started to influence, trying to get back their influence, their authority, their power. They come and in the midst of wanting to be restored in their respect, power, and authority, here they are gathered with the crowd in front of Pilate. And the first declaration that Jesus is innocent is of the charges that they brought themselves. The second charge is that they've led people astray. He can't find him guilty of that either. Finally, on the third time, he finds him innocent of any wrongdoing deserving death. So normally, what he would do is he'd have him whipped and set free. He's following the proper protocol. And this is where it starts to get interesting. Because they know that they can have a prisoner released on the Jewish high feast. Not a trade, but they can, he can release any prisoner. <laughs> and they pick someone named, whose name Barabbas means the son of a father. They say, we want him set free. He had been found guilty of both a riot, inciting a riot, and murder. So this guy, who is guilty of inciting a riot and guilty of murder... We want you to set him free, even though he is guilty of the death penalty, and normally you would string him up and put him on a cross outside the city to warn the rest of the community that they need to behave themselves or this will happen to them too. That's why you put people up on a cross, why the Romans did it. In, in, in Hebrew times, they said, you know, that cursed is anyone who hangs from a tree. And what they would do is after some people had died, in order that their, their lives would be a demonstration, is they would string them up on a tree to show that they were cursed. Here, here it is that they now have this cross, and these people start a riot, getting everybody involved to shout, crucify him. It is a raising revolt all of these people are starting to get caught up in the emotion as they shout and it gets louder and louder, crucify him, crucify him. 
And here's poor Pilate three times. He has already said this man is innocent. What has he done deserving death? Tell me one thing. They won't even tell him because they don't have anything to say. The man is innocent. (laughs) And he releases the guilty one. And he hands Jesus over to their will. It seems to me at this point that God has given the chief priests and the leaders who are coordinating this incredible event several opportunities throughout the journey to Jerusalem to repent, throughout the course of the trial to repent, and now finally he gives them three more opportunities to repent and not go after their own will, not to do things their way. Isn't it strange that they desire someone to be set free who is guilty of inciting a riot and guilty of murder and now their will is they are inciting a riot and they will be guilty of murder. That's what's happening. The very thing that Barabbas was accused of and found guilty of the chief priests and the leaders are now themselves guilty of and is even listed later on in Acts chapter 3 when Peter stands up for his second sermon. He turns to the very people. Let me just read this because this is, this is pretty powerful in chapter 3 and in the beginning in verse 13. It says, The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of this. Wow. The very thing that they We're accusing Jesus of their guilty of. And Peter says, we saw it. You were there. We saw it. We're witnesses. Oh, my goodness. I'm amazed by two things. One is how wrong I could be before I was saved, to think of God being this judge up in heaven just waiting to find me doing something wrong so he could lower the boom. That God is a judgmental God and that he is a God who is just after anybody who is mean or nasty and he's going to give them what's coming to them. The judgment of God, the worst judgment of God is that he doesn't judge us at all 
but he lets us do our own thing. He hands us over to do what we want to do. I think that is the first thing that I really see in the midst of this whole text is that when they handed Jesus over to their will, they were the ones who were then responsible not only for the death of Jesus, but as they said, let it be upon us, let it be upon our children. They counted their respect, their authority, their power to be more important and more valuable. Their traditions were more important and more powerful for them to protect than to know God's will. And instead of God, whose desire was for them to have an abundant and fulfilled life where they were not only blessed, but would be a blessing to the nations, which was the promise to Abraham that that's what they were supposed to be, what he had chosen for them. That was his will for this nation to be a light to the Gentiles and a light to the rest of the world. They instead crucified the very one who came to redeem them and show them the love that the Father had. Their will was wrong. And when God lets you do the thing that you think that you want to do, the trouble with that is if you haven't asked him what his will and desire is for your life, you're not going to be fulfilled in the things that you're doing. Jesus didn't come to make our lives miserable. He came to bring us life and life that was abundant. And when he comes to do it, it only happens when we submit to his will and we submit to his ways. The worst judgment is, is that after giving us several warnings, we simply say, no, we'd rather do it our way. Sort of like Frank Sinatra, I did it my way as though that was really going to bring about both the joy, the peace, and the righteousness in a person's life that God intended for us. You see, when we submit to God, it's not slavery. That's where real freedom begins. When we understand that the will of God is there for us, not that we have to become slaves to this fearful, awesome God who is out to destroy us and rob us of everything that brings life and pleasure and fulfillment. But instead, we understand that when we do that, that's when we do arrive at both a change of thinking in how we perceive the world and how we understand God. It sets us free on the inside of our hearts to enjoy all that he has prepared beforehand for us to walk in. He didn't rob us of our will in order to destroy us. But he shows us what's best for us. It's a whole different ballgame. 
You see, that's, that's the paradox that when I submit to his will, I gain true freedom. When I desire to please him, then things happen all around me in my life, in my family, in the people that I'm with, that changes the world round about us. <laughs> it's, it's difficult sometimes for me, having grown up in a society that says, you gotta do it, you gotta work at it, you gotta accomplish it, it's you, it's your will, it's what you make of it. And all of that has, has been filtered through this into my heart, so it comes down that I think I have to do something for God in order for him to be pleased with me. No, God is pleased with his son. His son saves me from myself. He saves me from a life of sin. He saves me from a life of destruction. He sets me free from the works of the devil in my life. God comes to redeem me and to be reconciled to him and reconciled to each other. That's what happens when I come to Jesus. The crazy thing about this whole event is not only do I see that these guys are wrong in what they do and that God has turned them over and says, well, here, that's your will. You do what you want to do then. Go ahead. I'm not going to stand in your way. If you really want to do what you want to do, it's up to you. You can do it. <laughs> Every decision has its consequences. You know, you can choose God and live forever. That's possible. Or you can deny God and you can die. <laughs> That's your choice. I mean, you, you've got that choice. You can do it. But instead of leaving us to the bad choice, God keeps pursuing us, coming after us, yearning for us, drawing us to himself. Why? So that we can have the life that he wants us to have to begin with. <laughs> and then he uses this very event. He takes this injustice that's about to take place. He takes the scourging, the bloodletting, the crown of thorns, the mockery, the spitting. He takes the, the cruelness of it. In the middle of all that's taking place, that's coming up to the crucifixion, he takes all of that and the power of God to work all things together for good is about to be displayed. When he takes the worst thing that you can do to his own son, he takes it and turns it around to become the salvation for the world. He takes the very thing that they meant for evil and turns it to good. You meant it for evil, but God turns it for good to all who will turn and believe in him. That is incredible power. Incredible power. None of us here have that kind of power. None of us have the ability that Jesus displays right here in his willingness to submit himself as a sacrifice for Barabbas. He doesn't say that's unjust. He deserves it. I don't. 
He doesn't take a haughty attitude. He is willing to die for Barabbas so that he can go free. He pays the price for the murderer and the rioter. And he paid the price for those who were shouting crucify him as well. And when Peter turns around and says, we were witnesses, I saw you there. I saw you there. You were there. He is the one who takes away the sins of the world. The one who was innocent was murdered. The one for whom they could find no fault. The one who healed the sick and delivered people from demons. The one who came and brought wisdom and understanding concerning the kingdom of God. The one who came in order to open people's hearts and minds to the love that a father has for all of his children that he came to save. That one died so that all of these other people, <laughs> all of these other people, that sort of like includes me, <laughs> can be saved from doing my own thing. Because when I do my own thing and follow my own way, I'm going to make a mess of it. That's the truth. And sometimes I sit there and shake my head when I see the kinds of messes that I made of my life and that other people make of their lives simply because they try to do it on their own. And those who turn to Jesus and cry out, first of all, Lord, help me, and then he does. Those that then turn to Jesus and say, show me, Lord, and then he does. And then they say, Lord, help me understand, and then he does. And then they say, Lord, what do I do? Here I am. And then he shows us what to do. In those moments, you have a God who claims to be with you forever. And that means he's in my mind. He changes my thinking. He's in my heart. He changes my emotions. He's in my life so that where I go and what I put my hand to, suddenly that which was impossible for me to do beforehand becomes the imperative that I can accomplish now. The one who is with me the one who is with me and never leaves me and never forsakes me isn't there to judge me, but he's there to work his will and his good pleasure through my life. What an incredible opportunity for all who will put their hope and their trust in Jesus. And I put that to you this morning to say that on this Palm Sunday Jesus had made a decision prepared the way he wasn't going to back down and he didn't back down on that good Friday either but he stood tall and silent for you to take your place to take your place, to be the sacrifice for the guilty one. When we understand that and see that and say, Lord Jesus,
Here's my life. You can pray that any way you want to pray, but you say, Jesus, here I am. What do I do? You can cry. You can simply say, Lord, I, I don't know what the steps are that I got to take. It doesn't matter how you pray that. But when you put your life into the hands of the one who sacrificed his life for you, your life begins a new path. Not doing what's right for you, but, what's doing, but doing what's right in the eyes of the living God. And not because you can, but because he can. And he does it for you and in you and through you. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, as we gather around this word today, it just seems like there's a real danger when we consider that in our own strength that we have the ability to do things that are um, that will have eternal benefit and that whatever we do is the right thing. Teach us, Lord, not to succumb to the judgment of getting things our own way, but teach us how to yearn for your will, your ways, your righteousness, and would seek that with all of our hearts. Lord, meet with each one of us here who has a need to discover you, to know you, to walk with you, to be renewed by you, to be filled with your spirit, to be strengthened in the inner man, to be comforted, that in each instance we would come to you and allow you to do a work within us that would bring about the glory that's due your name. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.